Welcome to News of the World, your podcast, your weekly dose of manic power struggles all over the world, the world going down and deeper into the shithole, and some good news. <laughs> That's our program. Mine, Tim Pritlove, and what's the name of this other guy out there in the desert where camels are... Well, grazing, they're not grazing, are they? <laughs> oh, stop it. Hello, yeah. Tim. Yes, Mark. Uh, let me just get the sand off the microphone. <laughs> and let me, uh, let me put this camel to the side. <laughs> What's a camel sound? I can't remember. I saw one yesterday and he yelled at me, but I don't remember. <laughs> Wherever you are, audience, just make a camel sound to yourself real yes. quick. It's okay if you're at work. Just, just get real low and just... <laughs> I think that's what it is. Sometimes I think we're all camels. In some way, carrying water. Uh, yes, greetings from Dubai, one of the fabulous emirates of the desert. The government requires me to say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which part? <laughs> yes, I've learned all about these other emirates nobody knows. and uh, yeah. But they do know Abu Dhabi, and I've been there as well. And yes, yes, I'm, I've been here for, uh, we're going on day 16. <laughs> And uh, it's the Dubai Taxi Project, which so many of you wonderful <coughs> listeners helped me get here. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited that we could do a news of the world while I'm here. So how's it going with your project? Um, it's, it's going good. It's, you know, it's evolved a bit because, of course, you take taxis. First of all, <laughs> taking taxis all day long is surprisingly draining. <laughs> You're mostly being driven, but... You're talking so much and trying to figure out strategies for talking, and this is exhausting. So uh, I have sort of branched out into other things. I also was worried that the audience, it would be too one after the other, it, like what happens to me here. I, I interview one driver. He's great. I interview another driver. He's great. I lose track of who's who unless I listen back to the audio. So I've started interviewing people that are not drivers, people that are doing interesting work, uh, sometimes maybe internet related, but nah, actually more just creative minds and that have watched this place change over time. And I'm mixing those in between the taxi podcasts. That way, if you're listening to my show, you'll you'll get a different, you know, next episode, you'll get a very different kind of voice and then another taxi driver. That mm -hmm. kind of thing. So yeah. do, do you have the impression that, that you get more or less the same story from all the taxi drivers then? Um, no, although it also depends on you, the inter me in this case, the interviewer. So I could very easily, and it's a good icebreaker, start with family, and they mm -hmm. could talk about family, no problem. Um, but if you're creative, and sometimes I am, <laughs> if you're creative, you can get them talking about a different area. Maybe you might not always know where you're going. You just know when you hear them touch on politics or, or one guy was talking about, was it mining? Yeah, mining in Pakistan and how in his region of Pakistan, they're crazy about coal and how he thinks it's a big mistake, but he can't say it because so many people are making money. He was even afraid that I would say exactly where in a recording and that somehow the next time he's visiting his home region, he would get killed or beat up or something for talking talking bad about the coal industry. So when I hear someone drop a little, a little piece of a bigger story, I'll say, what do you mean? Or, you know, what about that? Or so then you get a different kind of story. Because of course, these guys tell great family stories, um, the work, the job, you can always get a guy to talk about the job. 
And that's interesting, but after a while, that is very similar story every time. Uh, the amount of hours they work, which is 12-hour shifts in this city, 24-hour shifts in Abu Dhabi, and where they live, which are company-run apartments where with a lot of rules, you, like you can't cook, they're very sad about that. And you get packed in, you know, lots of roommates in one place, not pleasant. So, yeah, some stories start to sound like one after the other, but that's where it's up to me to, to change that. But I guess you got around a, a, a lot because you have to drive all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I is really it, know the city. <laughs> is, it, is it expensive, I mean, to um, be on the taxi all the time? Um, yes, or at least, you know how, like, when you arrive somewhere, even if it's cheaper, like, food can be cheaper here depending on how you do it, where you mm -hmm. go. You can mm -hmm. go to the, you know, really fancy places. Um But this is the kind of place where, like anywhere, once you've been here a little while, you you're, you stop thinking about euros or dollars, and suddenly things that didn't seem expensive do. So my friends don't take as many taxis as I do here, and when they talk about the money that's involved, uh, at first I was like, ah, it's fine, no big deal. And now I look at the amount of money I've spent on taxis, and I'm like, shit, I, I gotta be careful. You know, I've got a budget. So <laughs> I've gotten worried in my last few days. I've taken less taxis, I've been more strategic. Uh, but my first two weeks, I was like, taxi, 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 taxi. <laughs> and um, what's cool is I really know the city. You know how if you work somewhere and you live somewhere, those are usually the only two places you know, maybe something beach-wise. I know all kinds of neighborhoods because just for fun, I go. <laughs> and I can tell people here, like, you should see this restaurant and you should go to that little corner. So I found a lot of little hidden gems. Um, so and so, so basically, you, you ask the drivers to, to show you uh, places. No, 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 no. I, I do the research via internet. I look on the map, and if something looks good on the map, I'll just tell them to go there. And cab drivers sometimes don't know themselves. You know, a couple of cab drivers have said, they're honest. Sir, I've only been on the job three months, two months. I got a, a Saharan cab driver. So he, he even said, you know, I don't even have a country. Um, <laughs> and he said, I've been here for one month, sir. And I was like, no problem. Now that you told me that, uh, I kind of know. So I'll tell you where to turn. And if we make any mistakes, no big deal. So And they really like that because they're used to getting yelled at oh, yeah. um, and getting in trouble. So I was like, you're not going to get in trouble. And then they kind of relax and sit back. And then <laughs> they're also run. open um, to talk to you. I mean, is it um, problematic to get in to contact? Yeah, look, m m microphones are terrible. I've Like here I have, I'm using a... a, a, a We'll call it a shotgun mic. Uh, a good, even the name is is bad. You know, if you want to reach people, <laughs> and the sound is awesome, great. It makes people feel weird. It yeah. makes you know some drivers are scared that somehow they're going to offend someone of their family or their bosses or they. You know, everybody thinks they're under the microscope, and I mean, I suppose in some way they could be, but it's highly unlikely that through my podcast. Your family back in Prashawar, Pakistan, is going to get mad at you. It's it's really unlikely. I don't mean to underestimate my reach. <laughs> But these guys believe, you know, that anything... It's true. You know, it's the internet. Anything is possible. Yeah. <laughs> so I've done a lot of recordings where I don't hold a mic to their face. I have it in my bag. Um, I, I, look, I'll tell this audience, but I won't say this in a, in a newspaper. Like, I do a lot of hidden mic stuff. Because Tony Schwartz did too. And I love Tony Schwartz. And um, when the mic isn't there, when we don't talk about journal, me being a journalist or anything, that's when it's not that they're revealing top secrets or, or hurting themselves. No, they just they say what's on their mind and in their heart. You know, they, they give their wisdom. 
So I, I much like it better, although a couple of people have done great when I do have the mic out, but, but I, I do like it better when you don't have the mic. We need to work on this. We need like an invisible mic that you can tell somebody about, but they immediately forget once you've told them. <laughs> work on this, technologists. The mic nobody knows about, but it's <clears throat> ethical. So, and the media got in touch with you too on yes. your project. How? Yeah, b before I came, there was Seven Days Dubai, Uh, which which actually will will be our, our source of the of this program. Um, they're an independent newspaper. They spotted my Kickstarter campaign and they reached out before I even came. Oh. And what's nice is when I got here, one of the journalists agreed to meet me and actually gave me a few phone numbers for taxi drivers. They didn't totally understand what was going on, but it gave me a little in with them. They were like, "Oh yeah, I promised so and so that you would that you could talk to me," and they didn't really understand why, but they they remembered they had promised. So, um, and he also, this one journalist took me to the Dubai courts, I, I mean, um, Abu Dhabi court, the criminal court, mind blowing place. I wrote about it. It's the latest post in my, uh, on citizen reporter. And, um, you know, the court system here is crazy. It's a mix of what I think what they call the British court or British legal system and Sharia law. So there's a lot of cases of people being accused of drunkenness, sex out of marriage. I saw a few cases like that. It's really depressing. And you, you see people who, you know, sex out of marriage, you might think it'd be like someone looking very proud and kind of, eh, eh. no, it's these very timid. I saw two Indonesian girls. I don't even know who was accused of sex out of marriage. Maybe they both were. But they looked so sad and so like they didn't know that this would all happen. And, and they had ankle um, bracelets on, you know, like chains. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's scary stuff. Of course, there were people that had really committed what I would say are huge crimes that were there too. But I saw a lot of small stuff and they, they do it all. And if you're in debt in this country, uh, even just a little debt, that's illegal. So I saw a lot of guys that were in debt um, wearing handcuffs. <laughs> it's illegal <laughs> and, uh, to be in debt. That is correct. You, if you owe the bank money, that is a criminal offense. Uh-huh. I thought this is a business model. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's, and, it's crazy, yeah. And, and, and I Dubai has been in, in, in the news here uh, too. You know, all these stories. Um, girls getting raped, you know, and then put mm -hmm. in front of the court, you know, for yeah. being the victim, you know. Yeah. Yeah, th there's, it, you could very easily go from, you know, putting in a claim to the police to being accused somehow, even though you're the victim. Yeah, yeah. and then the only escape is, that, well, you can, can, can uh, marry the guy who raped you and then it's fine, you know. I don't even know if that would work, but yeah, yeah, th there is <laughs> yeah, no escape. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that the, was the news that broke us. Uh, there was a Norwegian, I'm not even going to get into the story fully, but there was a Norwegian girl that made international news and actually the sheikh here pardoned her. Uh, yeah, because there was said, uh, there was strong international pressure, and that's yeah. probably the only thing that that saved her. But she, there was something odd about her, and that's one thing you get when you're here that you wouldn't get outside. There was something very odd about her. Uh, a lot of my female friends here have said um, the situations and and what she was doing, like it doesn't add up. Like so, that something more was going on with this case. Not to say she's you know it's not excusing any, any God, it's not excusing rape, but. Um, there was much more to this story. That's, that's another thing you hear a lot here. Oh, mm -hmm. the international press writes about Dubai or that story or this story, and they only get one side of it. Of course, but that happens often with the world. You get one side of the story. So it is a place that feels somewhat 
misunderstood sometimes, uh, which is also fun for me because I get to see, since I don't have to leave, I can stay around for more than, you know, a few days. I do get more of a sense of the complete story of this place. And I do see how, you know, the CNN specials on Dubai, of course, it's just one tiny piece. You know, this is a huge, this is a huge thing going on here. <laughs> Life. How many, how many times have you been to Dubai until this is my this third trip? time, two times before this trip? Well, and I've stopped over two other times. So I've been here four total times. So has it, has it changed? When, when, when was the last time you've been there? And has it changed since then? And what, what trends can you make out of this? Um, I was here in 2010. And honestly, like, uh, you know what I can tell? But of course, if you stay here longer, you, you'd know more about this. But And I didn't stay long enough the first few times. But there are a lot of what we would call Western or, or high-end workers here that are struggling. Like that used to be like you come to Dubai and if you're from Europe or you're highly educated from Egypt or wherever, you're set. You know, you're going to get the cool job. You get the good money. That's not very true anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So I've hung out with a lot of Egyptians who are highly educated. Uh, they're living together, you know, sometimes roommates with people from the UK. And these people, they have job titles that you'd think great. You're doing great. You're an executive something-something, an accounts manager, and they're barely getting by. And everyone's like, oh, it's tax-free here. Yeah, but you pay in so many other ways. You know, rents are crazy, and landlords are horrible. And so you, you're constantly... Now they won the World Expo. They're going to get it in 2020. Oh. That's a huge topic here, Expo. You can't even tell me where the last Expo was. Nobody knows, but they know Dubai 2020. Um... So But they, they they have to to build a new island for this one. Yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> By the way, I have to look this up. We we would have enjoyed this. I didn't realize there's this there was supposed to be this project called The World, a bit like yeah. you know, The Palms. I didn't know this, and it's completely like stuck. It was supposed to be islands that look like continents or yeah, something. Yeah, there's a Germany island and something like this. <laughs> mm. And apparently it's just sitting there because they ran out of money, of course. Um, oh, yeah. And that's one thing I've noticed, which you wouldn't have heard in 2010 or 11. You know, Dubai is back. And you do get that feeling. You look around and there's so much construction and there's actually people working there. Um, the the I hear a lot about real estate prices and they're going back almost at the level they were at before this crisis. So it's not I mean, part of this is a sort of campaign, right, for making people believe. But I see very much that this city is is back. I mean, it's not in this phase of like people running out of money and running away or something like that there's a lot of work to be had but i don't think it's as glorious as it was five years ago i think that it's much more reality has hit for a lot of people who come here not of course the taxi drivers and the and especially the construction workers i mean they still live in horrible conditions um but even for high-end people you would think oh you work in dubai you work for this big company you're great i see them they're barely getting by they don't manage to save This city gets you in other ways, and you'd think because your job you'd be you'd be set, but you're not. So, I mean, Dubai has been one of the craziest places I have been to, and I haven't spent much time there. I've just been there for a couple of days and walked around, and you know, basically saw the you know the core of it. Maybe not even the core. Maybe just it was just a brief look from the outside. But you know, you know the feeling. You you come to Dubai, and it's immediately you think. What the hell? Yeah, what, 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 what is the concept of this place, please? And 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 yeah. all these crazy buildings and these gigantic projects and this weird 
difference between the old town and and, mm -hmm. and this totally into the future uh, design of 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 everything and from from year to year and i've been there only once but i've been following it on yeah. both news and google earth you know <laughs> every satellite <laughs> update brings you like oh yeah they you know they built that island too now you know and i was especially yeah. following the world which yeah didn't really turn out that well but when i was there they were just in the um, uh, finalization of the palm like yeah. the, the first islands uh, they built this is more or less complete now sure so yeah. what what is it what what is dubai now does it play any role for the world is this just oh, yeah. uh is, is it just a theater for itself what is it i i think it's you know it, sometimes i look around and if this were like an alternative sci-fi world you know, if I were writing a, a fictional story based on reality somehow, this could be the capital of Asia. If there were, you know, an international, if we were all one country or one continent was one, this would be the capital. Everybody meets here. This is the meeting point. And why is it the meeting point? Well, things are stable. There's work. Um, there's a whole list of reasons why this could be uh, sort of a neutral zone. You know, the UN has its rap one of its rapid response food aid and tents places here. And in a way, like that's kind of what this place can and is starting to be. It's a, it's a doorway for Asia. It's a doorway even into Africa in some ways. In some ways, um, so it it's very much it's young, but I see it as a meeting point for money and people, <laughs> and money and people kind of make the world go round. So, um, I, I like I was watching. You know, the Sheikh was talking about. Um, He's an interesting dude, I believe, <laughs> as far as world leaders go. And he was talking about the Middle East. And, you know, he's being questioned, like, what about Israel? And he says, I think that we're getting close. But every time I think we're close, we don't get there. But if, they, if the Palestinians and the Israelis could make an agreement and, and Palestine could have a country, we could really start moving forward. You know, we want to receive Israelis. We want, the, the, you know, we see it as, as we're all family of religions. You know, and I know this is a very... Um, what do you call it? Like very acceptable statement. But I, I do see that this place is very much like that. Like religion? Well, that's yours. Yeah, look, we're we're Muslim, obviously, and, and you're going to hear the call to prayer. But do what you do. You know, just just don't flaunt it. Don't offend us. But but it's no big deal. Money? That's yes, that we understand. You know, family? Yeah, we understand that, too. You know, it's it's um this place could be New York, you know, in the 1800s. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's. It's got that. I really wonder about 100 years from now, as long as climate change and, and <laughs> all these things don't destroy it, <laughs> um, as long as they can stay ahead and technology has helped them with that, this could be a New York or a, not a Jerusalem, <laughs> but it's a, you know, a peaceful metropolis of many nationalities with injustices. But you know what? Even my own New York is full of injustices. Um, yes. But yeah, this one's got some more obvious ones. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think Dubai is on its way to, to something, I think something long lasting. I mean, it's already here. So it's not like a fluke. You know, I, I stayed with an Indian family from New Delhi And they're, you know, they're working for corporations, small corporation, big corporation. The wife sells real estate. They got two kids that were born here. You ask them about where they live and where they're from. I mean, they're from India, but they're here. This is their home. They love this place. 
They, this is where they want their future. They want to. They don't want to go back to Delhi. They don't even know Delhi anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, the only problem is laws, right? Because the Emiratis to this point don't let you become a citizen. They make it extremely difficult. And that's where we'll see what's going to happen. I think that they're going to have to change. Um, and even the Sheikh, again, I'm quoting the Sheikh too often, but he said our laws, especially our courts, still have to catch up to the reality of our cities and our country Go and, and now and, and, and what's to come. And I think that one of the things is they're going to have to eventually, you know, these families that love this place, that are invested in this place, they got to be able to become citizens. Because the weirdest part is that so many of these people that inhabit these buildings, all these tall skyscrapers, they all have to go home at some point. They feel like they have to. And that's where I think Dubai, again, it's incomplete. The the puzzle is still, you know, being put together. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, if they, if they fix these laws, uh, this place is definitely a, uh, you know, a London or something like that. All right. So <laughs> wh- whoever wants uh, to get more on this can read yeah. your blog and, of course, yeah. listen to your podcast where you're going to release. How many... What do you think? How many shows are you going to? I'm pretty sure twelve. Twelve. Oh, yeah, a, a couple I might combine. Like at first, I thought each taxi driver gets his own show, but now I'm, since I hear common themes, I might do it more thematically. Like talk about family and then have different voices talking about family. Oh, yeah. So, so I'm going to be messing with style um, for once <laughs> on my podcast. Yeah, that's good. So I, yeah, uh, uh, yeah I really, I'm really happy to uh, see that uh, it both worked with the crowdfunding. The, also worked with um, the project itself and i'm looking yeah. forward to the results of course yeah thanks yeah, it's going good <laughs> anyway uh, the world uh, did yes. not stop rotating um, the construction stopped on the world but the, the world <laughs> kept going <laughs> it did and we should at least drop some some news and you know mm-hmm. when you started your trip you were Did you say, did you post this online? Did you say to me, like, once you're here, you uh, hear all those interesting stories about Egypt that you should probably report uh, on and people to talk to? Um, yeah. Uh, did I? I don't know. Yeah, you did. You know, you would, you got, uh, I think you got, uh, you said you got re- recommendations of, of people to talk oh, to in Egypt. Yes. Uh, a lot. So let's look at Egypt first. Yeah, Egypt comes up a lot, and, and that could be partially because a lot of taxi drivers are Egyptian, and, and a lot of people have ended up here. Well, they had a constitutional referendum, or a referendum on the Constitution. This is the one that has been made since the military government uh, came forward and kicked out the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, and, and actually, you... It was what, a big I, hit. Yeah. 98% <laughs> said yes. So, right. Masses. 98%. Now, the turnout... <laughs> was 38%. So 98% oh. of 38%. <laughs> I feel like a bank. Um, 38% is really not a lot. No? <laughs> no. No, and it I, isn't. Yeah. And I, and so, I wonder what, what, what the results could have been if the atmosphere would have been uh, slightly different. So this no, yeah. new constitution was all about legitimizing... The military government that is sort of in power since they turned uh, down the Muslim Brotherhood? I think yes. I think it's also a way, uh, and, and in this case I would give them a bit of credit, but it's their attempt to make a constitution that won't allow for a group, the way they see it, like the Muslim Brotherhood, to come forward and then just take over and then 
you know, change everything. So they they are still attempting to create something that would maybe be a balanced version of representative democracy. Regardless, many parties, as you can tell by the 38%, boycotted the whole thing. So that's the, the bummer. Uh, I mean, technically, this constitution forbids party formation based on religion, race, gender, or geography. And that sounds fine, uh, but uh, I, I, people are not buying it, apparently. Um, I, I saw a analysis in the Christian Science Monitor by a guy named Dan Murphy, who does a lot of reporting for the Middle East, and he said, in a way, this is a, a good for the, the military government. At least it's a vote more in their favor, uh, but again, the the turnout is so low, it's hard to get very excited about it mm-hmm. or, or make much of a com- conclusion. Uh, it keeps a powerful role for the military, uh, including they still have the right to put civilians on trial. And they have been, um, you know, they've been doing a lot of this declaring of terrorists and enemies of the state. And this is very worrying for anyone, religious, non-religious. I think everybody's worried about this. Um, so, yeah, and what, and what Dan Murphy says, which I think a lot of us know, that still hasn't been addressed, not even in this constitution, is you still have this crazy police brutality, you know, police with way too much power, and they're using it on the streets and everywhere. Um, and nothing, it does nothing against this whole suppression of political dissent, which which the Muslim Brotherhood did, and now the, the military government does as well. If you're an enemy of, of the government, then you're a terrorist or you're whatever you are, and they can get to you. Um, so this is very much like, you know, if these things aren't addressed, we're never going to get anywhere. That's what Dan Murphy says, and I would, I would echo that. That looks like the revolution hasn't really taken place. It's just missing a bunch of pieces. You know, there was kind of a revolution of expression. Uh, and, you know, we learned that when I did the whole Arab artist series. You know, they said, look, we look at this graffiti, look at this painting, look at this, the things that we can write that we couldn't before. But it's all small if you don't have the other stuff or it's not enough. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I would say it's incomplete. It's, it's stuck. There's lots of ways to describe it. Um, but, but if you, if you were to say nothing has changed, I think you're wrong. I've, I've seen with my own eyes, uh, how the small things have changed. And, and I say small things for some people, it might be huge, you know, um, same thing in Tunisia. I mean, we've had, there's a big struggle in Tunisia right now. And, you know, people would say, eh, not much has changed, but eh, a lot of things have changed. It's just not enough. There are pieces that are missing, essential pieces, like the police. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, Of course, people usually expect or at least hope for immediate changes. But in the end, it's the whole society that has to sort of follow through with all those ideas and slowly change their overall behavior. And these revolutionary moments are just a catalyst to, to make these process, uh, processes begin. Begin. Yeah, it's 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 just the uh, you know you take up on the path you 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 just start walking and 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 you can still fall and uh, sometimes even return on your path um, before you you're getting anywhere and I, I I think this is really what what happens uh, not only in Egypt but the whole um, Middle East region that's always two steps uh, ahead and, and, and one or two steps back and then a bit forth again. But in total, I think it's it's moving, it's happening. And mm-hmm. those 
young people who have been sort of the those who were driving the revolution forward initially, they yeah. still do not have the influence within their society. Yeah. And once they have reached the age where you know they're just going to have some kind of influence, you know, yeah. then it's all coming back. So I expect more of this to to really make a difference in probably ten years total time. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at the history of revolutions all over the world, different kinds, it is not uncommon that young people lead it, young people push for it, and then just at the moment where the existing whatever power structure falls, another older, not actually someone of the revolutionary, like someone more, something in between, takes over as the representative and doesn't quite do what the revolutionaries want. It's, it, it happens. I mean, I think maybe Castro is an exception because you know he leads the revolution and he, he takes the seat, but... There are a lot of revolutions where the people in the streets don't end up the people in, in presidency, despite yes. being the ones that, that pushed for the change. Yeah, a, a buddy of mine in Egypt who considers himself an activist has been out in the streets, and he's from rural uh, Egypt. And he said, you know, I've been in the streets, and it's so exciting. And then I go home, and everyone's like, what are you guys doing? What do you guys want? And I realize, like, we're a little bit... There's a little bit of a gap here, and I think what we're watching is, you know, this this gap. I mean, it, it, you you got to have more than just the people in the streets to lead a country to change. You know, it's it's the slow. It's what you said. It's it takes time. We need like ten years. You said it really well, actually. <laughs> yeah, things take time, and uh, we can see the same pattern in the Ukraine, which is yeah. in its second or third kind of revolution in the last ten years. Yeah. And the latest protests that we've already been uh, reporting on uh, yeah. aren't really... I'm not so sure if they're not getting anywhere or if they're still going on, but at least the whole protest thing is getting crazier. Yeah, it was a big weekend. You know, I'm not following uh, day by day or hour by hour. I'm, I'm, I'm busy with, with what I'm doing here. But uh, I, thankfully, we have reporters like my friend Olaf Kunz who's there. And, um, yeah, this weekend was big for clashes in the streets, uh, protesters versus police. And actually, instead of reading or, or even talking much about it, there's a, a photo gallery, a series of photos from this weekend in the Global Post, and we, we'll put a link to it. And you just look at the pictures, and it, it tells, you know, quite a story and still ongoing. Um, this story might get old, according to, you know, media standards, but it's it's very much current and now and happening and you know it's it's rock throwing it's barricades i mean it's very uh old school <laughs> yeah and it's getting more and more um um it's it's getting away from peaceful protests into oh, yeah. a, a real civil war and that's what some people have been warning of that mm. the the ongoing pressure by the government is sort of you know, making the protesters uh, turning mm. into real fighters. And mm -hmm. nobody knows where this is going. There's a strong divide in the Ukraine, the pro-Western and the pro-Russian uh, parts of the society really seem to be, you know, not getting along with yeah. each other uh, there is no common ground it's just like either this or that and nobody knows how this will turn out if there's some kind of split or is there some kind of you know 
don't know, war yeah. coming up. Very difficult to say from the outside. Let me let me throw in a little nugget, actually. Um, one of my favorite podcasts that has recently come back, found funding, is um, The State We're In. And I'll put a link to it. They recently did an interview with um, one of the leaders of Femen, you know, this, this famous mm-hmm. topless protest group. And, you know, it's very much about Femen, but it's also about the Ukraine. And I would, I would recommend giving that a listen. It's not completely about these protests. It's more about the country and the context. And uh, this has been a very, I mean, one of the big faces of, of the Ukraine all these, these past few <coughs> years, these, these topless women uh, who are now international. I mean, it's not just Ukraine. They're now based in Paris, actually, because being based in Ukraine was too dangerous. And uh, so I'll put a link to that show. Um, good podcast. From Radio Netherlands. They lost their funding and they're no longer associated. But yeah, they, they were Radio Netherlands for a long time. Now, WBEZ, which is the producers of This American Life, have um, kind of taken them in. Oh. They're still recorded in the Netherlands, though. Great. Yeah. yeah. Which, it's a decent story of what can happen anyway. Um, let's see. We've also got Argentina on the list. And I haven't had a piece from Argentina in a while. I just noticed this. And we have a lot of different strategies in this world for dealing with, you know, what happens as markets open up and you can buy anything online. Um, well, Argentina has restricted online shopping uh, with, in what's called a protection strategy. This hit uh, over the last few days. Apparently, you know, Argentina had its huge crisis in the 90s, very famous. And now, at least currency-wise, their, their reserves are dropping. The crisis could be ahead, another crisis. And so what they've decided to target, one of the things the government is targeting, is these uh, foreign uh, online, uh, you know, order by uh, post type or order online type um, businesses like Amazon and eBay. So they'll no longer come to your house with these new policy. And you can get hit with a 35% what we call tariff or tax when you do go to pick up your item and you have to sign a bunch of forms. They're making it very, very hard uh, and this is in a sort of effort to protect or, or get people to to buy stuff within their own country and from their own sources. Um, I know, like, different countries have different strategies for all this, and, and many wouldn't do this at all. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can tell that Argentina is, I think, approaching some kind of desperation here. Um, uh, th- at least that's my initial observation. Yeah, they've been struggling for a very long uh, time now, and uh, it's not the first, um, uh, n- not the first showing of 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 a, of a longer uh, decline. I wonder what the role of the international mm-hmm. community here uh, really is, or if they are just trying to oppose something that they pointing the blame at. Yeah, it, it could be. You know, uh, uh, I mean, each person is apparently allowed to buy twenty five dollars a year abroad, uh, tax-free. Uh, but apparently they can't keep track of this. They, they, they don't have good records of this. So obviously people are spending more than 25 bucks. And this, of course, has an effect on maybe where the money would have gone. Uh, but, you know, according to a lot of standards around the world, that's, that's competition, right? Um, so I, I don't know, you know, it, it's... You know, I live in the Netherlands. I sometimes order from Amazon, and it, it's coming from, technically it's coming from Germany, or it's coming from the UK. It depends on which store I use. I mean, you could get hit with a tariff. Like, yeah, 
protectionism is still a reality in a lot of the world, especially Europe. Um, and is that a bad thing? You know, the big capitalists will say, yes, this is horrible. But if I was running a country, I, I don't know. You know, may, maybe if, if it works, geez, if it works, then maybe I would do it. I don't know. So next on the list, we have actually a story out of Georgia. And uh, hey, it's only appropriate as not too far over the border in Russia. The Winter Olympics are, are coming. I don't know oh, when, I guess in a month yeah. or so. Sochi. It's winter. It's got to be soon. Uh, Georgia all, says... It's, it's always what? winter somewhere or most That's of true. the time. It's true. Apparently in Sochi, it's winter <laughs> soon. But uh, Georgia says Russia has moved their border... 11 kilometers into Georgian territory. And when you look closer at this story, um, it's actually into Abkhazia, which is a breakaway region that only a few countries recognize, most importantly among them, Russia. So this is a complicated complaint, <laughs> but I mean, 11 kilometers change of border, that is something technically. Um, I don't know what the Abkhazian government says. I mean, of course, Georgia believes that this is still its territory. Um, interestingly, this comes in the context of the Olympic Games about to start, the Winter Olympics, and Georgia is actually doing kind of an in-between thing here. I, I found this interesting. They're not boycotting the Games, but they um, won't send a government delegation, but they are letting athletes participate. Very confused. I didn't realize that when you send people to the Olympics, you might also send a government delegation. I didn't even thought of that. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? I, I haven't heard about this at all on any other source. And the question is, what does it technically mean they have moved the border? Does it mean know. they have moved in with troops and set up new border stations? Or is it just an official declaration? Uh, I will, <laughs> the article doesn't say, this was written in, um, in Euractive, which is usually a source for news about Europe and, you know, Georgia is under that sphere of influence. And I don't know if this means like you pick up your guard shack and you just walk 11, well, you drive 11 <laughs> kilometers and then you park your guard shack down again and you go, there we go. And you start checking passports there. Um, I don't know. I guess it depends on which map you're looking at and, and who makes it. It's like, hey, the map factory released a new one. The line is lower. Um, this, is, this is a good question that I don't have an answer yeah, to. Yeah, and they just did it or did they announce it? I mean, Russia is not really good at the business of announcing these things. They're just probably yeah. just doing it. Just do it. Um, but yeah, apparently Sochi is really... I'm just looking at the map right now. And I didn't really realize that. It's very close to... Is that? Oh, I'm looking at the border here. No, don't yeah. get me confused. Oh, yeah, it is very, yeah. very close to the Georgian uh, border, or uh, if you like, the Abkhazian border. So, moving yeah. it 10 kilometers in um, probably means something like, um, well, the rest is just hills and, and mountains and stuff. There's one big road going along the Black Sea. So basically they're moving in the border along the main road towards um, yeah, the next bigger city in Abkhazia. There's no big city right behind the border. 
So there's the space to do that. Mm. Yeah, I, I've read about patrols. They're doing these like in honor of the Olympics, or not in honor, but in in you know the threat of terrorism against the Olympics. They're they're doing some kind of patrols. So I guess they brought their patrol into this area, and this constitutes calling it their land. Uh, yes, I, that that's probably what. So they have a deal with uh, Abkhazia to basically yeah. operate within the country to yeah. you know set up patrols and and you know make sure there are no terrorists yes they hate in. snow yeah they, they totally. hate your snow way of life <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah which is possible i mean it is russia it's, it's, it's very uh, actually i guess you know it's a lot of people hate russia including small uh groups <laughs> you know so uh yeah I, I read also that georgia had offered to do like um security cooperation i i but I mean, again, this is like offering the United States aid in an emergency. They just say no all the time. It's a matter of pride, you know. Hey, you need help with patrols? Huh? Us? Never. You know. So it's a bit of a silly thing on the Georgian side to say, like, "Hey, you, you want a hand?" <laughs> yeah, and Georgia is always quick in complaining, but it also shows that they have no real means to to prevent this from happening. No, that's, that's true. That's part of the general breakup of their country. Yeah, and this may very much go away. Uh, this story may go away after uh, after the Olympics, and what I mean by that is the patrols could stop. And yeah, but but they still have this issue, of course, of Abkhazia and accepting this. But then again, much of the world I don't think recognizes Abkhazia, so it's, uh, the story won't be finished. But th this part of it, yeah, it could still be that this uh, whole Olympic Games thingy is going to backfire on Russia somehow. Although, mm. in the end, uh, Mr. Putin didn't really, you know, seem to care a lot about any bad press he, he got. And yeah. Just moving yeah. along as he likes it. Tim, I believe there is a new law of physics and it comes down to Putin always wins. <laughs> that is, so you're going against the law of physics. I don't know. Putin always wins. So no matter what, you can go, well, don't forget the Putin law. Putin's law? Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean there's a new basic element here, a Putino. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. can't win. You, you, know? can't, you can't win against the Putino. No. no, not in this era, I don't think. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the, uh, the Olympic <laughs> update. And I did throw in today as a news source, uh, as a tribute for their kind treatment of me, and because they do provide a lot of information, they're one of the few independent newspapers in the United Arab Emirates, where I'm currently sitting, and that is Seven Days Dubai. It's actually trying to go more for the name just Seven Days, UAE, mm -hmm. but uh, originally they're Seven Days Dubai, that's what I call them, and... Um, they do the whole scale and scope of news from the political stuff. You'll hear about court cases. And yeah, you'll hear about, you know, the world yeah. and what's going on with the construction there and stuff like that. Seven New days. Hotel. Well, the logo actually says seven days and the domain to seven days in Dubai. Mm. Yeah. Well, whatever. So this is yeah. an, an, an English yep. site. Is it online only? Yes. It's paper. It's paper as well. Oh, I've hung true. out at their offices. I've gotten a full taste. They sell ads. The ad seller guy was pressuring me as to why I don't have ads on my podcast. And he was like, <laughs> hey, it's so good, though. You could, they could sponsor you like a shirt company and you can wear their shirt here in Dubai. And I was like, no, no, thank you, sir. <laughs> he was very worried about me. <laughs> You're not wearing any ads at all. Yeah, you Man. could. 
Yeah, you could. Great. It's good yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and all the reporters in the room are kind of looking at me like, "Don't, don't worry, don't worry about that. Don't just, you know, <laughs> he's not a reporter." <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> mm. yeah. uh. But hey. I mean, uh, if you're a commercial newspaper, then uh, good. You need to uh, you need to sell them ads. I understand. And yeah, they so, have, have yeah. a they have a business directory right on top of their homepage. Yeah, with everything oh. that is of value and of uh, importance in Dubai, including restaurants, car servicing, properties, beauty, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> hotels, yes. and then any other business. That's yeah. really an interesting lineup here, especially <laughs> the beauty part, you know? Well, look, uh, people in this country love their cars, especially the Emiratis. They love their cars. Yes. Ferrari, I've never seen so many Ferraris in my life. And uh, they like to look good. They always look good in their beautiful flowing robes. I'm very jealous when I see them on the street. I'm like, wow, wow, I want to wear that, but I can't. Well, I could, but I probably wouldn't look as good. And uh, yeah, hotels and beauty. I mean... Uh, What more is there, Tim? I don't, I don't know. It's, it seems to be a very complete directory of things. <laughs> uh -huh. And that's it, man. I've, I've got uh, one day left on the fantastic uh, Dubai Taxi Project, although for the next month I will be working on this topic. I'll try and do it in a way that won't always be the same story. I'll do different stories. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, and then comes my very short book, I guess, or something. <laughs> Well, that's, that's been a very good idea, and uh, I would encourage you to come up with something like this at least once per year to, you know, bring you mm. somewhere on this planet and uh, report crazy stories from it. <laughs> All right, I'm in. Yeah, good. And meanwhile, let's see, we've got uh, back in uh, Europa, I don't know, got, we've got February coming up, but uh, I'll be back uh, next week and, and definitely up for, for more news. Okay, that's what we're going to do, Mark. Thanks for All reporting right. from Dubai. Uh, yes. Enjoy your final hours with all those beautiful skyscrapers and mm -hmm. um, artificial landscapes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I will. <laughs> have I'm going to have you I'm been hug a, a building. Yeah, or ha have you been? <laughs> yes, hug a building. And uh, did you for take nature. a ride on on a camel? Have you participated in one of these? Cam they have camel races no. where. Where robots are sitting on top of them, they have completely removed the disc, uh, the, the jockeys. Uh, yes, and they have uh, small robots sitting on top of the camels that are racing them. Okay, now I have to extend my trip. <laughs> I knew about the camel races, but they, unfortunately, they take place at 5 a.m., which no citizen journalist would ever be awake at 5 a.m. Uh, <laughs> not for that, anyway. Yeah. Um, I did wake up at 5 a.m. to go to the top of the Burj Khalifa because they do. Uh, sunrise visits and nobody's there because ordinarily there's huge lines but camel races with robots tim all this time i i oh my priorities have been backwards yeah but but how was the look from the burj khalifa it's it's impressive it's it's like flying in a plane and looking out the window and without only... the without the plane Yeah, there's no top. You just look up like, oh, the sky. Um, oh. It's also weird, like world's tallest building and you look at it and you can, you can look at it like the, the top is not in the clouds. Like on a clear day, you, you see it. So it's oddly compact, this building. Uh -huh. like, it's like, oh yeah, I can hold this building in my hand from really far away. Um, it's, it's just an impression. It looks like the 1920s. Like it's such an amazing looking future, old fashioned futuristic building. <laughs> Um, it's, it's awesome. I, I do recommend coming to visit and they do a really cool job 
when you're walking in, I guess because you normally have to stand in long lines, of showing all the different people that worked on it, not every single one, but they they give you an example of each type of worker and a little background on them. And it's, you know, I know it's symbolic, but it's kind of cool. Like all the different nationalities, you look at the names, the spellings, the clothes they're wearing in the photos. It's awesome. I was just walking, looking at how many Emiratis worked on this project and what they're wearing, like what kind of headscarf or what kind of like <laughs> kandura. And, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I looked at how many German names are on the list. It's like, oh, 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 <laughs> found it. One Dutchman, I think. Uh, so, yeah, Burj Khalifa, very cool. And uh, apparently in 2020, where uh, surely news of the world will be in Dubai, um, there's going to be a new tower, the, the 2020 tower. The news of the world tower. <laughs> yeah, well, all you have to do is pay a little money and we can oh. have that. Well, that's all? That's yeah. easy. <laughs> <laughs> the news of the world tower. We can broadcast from the top. Yeah. Okay. All right. Off we go. And until next week, hey, thanks again, audience, for all your support for this program and, uh, and my crazy project here. Yes. <laughs> Goodbye. And we'll catch you next week. Goodbye.